there, I'm Dr. Amy Keene, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is The Most Important Medicine. If you're a physician or healthcare provider, this podcast is for you. This is where we learn about trauma-informed medicine and ways to build resilience in healthcare organizations. We do this through your stories and the stories of other professionals and patients. We listen to each other to transform medicine with compassion and curiosity about what it means to be a trauma-informed practice or provider. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and lead with tangible tools that you can use with your patients right away. So if you're a nurse, you can go to rnegade.pro and you can get credits for listening today. You're already listening, so it's a great use of your time and resources. Um, Today, I am excited to be joined by a friend, Keith Carlson. Keith is a nurse and he's going to share infinite wisdom in his years of experience. He's been a nurse since 1996 and is renowned as a holistic career coach, a nurse podcaster, a writer, blogger, and dynamic motivational speaker. He is the host of the Nurse Keith Show, and his podcast focused on career advice, fascinating interviews, and personal and professional inspiration for nurses. From 2012 until its sunset in 2017, Keith co-hosted RNFM Radio, the groundbreaking nursing podcast. And in 2005, Keith launched Digital Doorway, one of the very first nursing blogs on the internet. A widely published author and writer, Keith is the author of Savvy Networking for Nurses, Getting Connected and Staying Connected in the 21st Century, and Aspire to Be Inspired, Creating a Nursing Career That Matters. Keith has written for nurse.com, nurse.org, and numerous other online platforms, He joins us from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he shares a magical life with his fiance, Shada McKenzie, who is a highly gifted and highly skilled traditional astrologer and reader of the tarot. Welcome, Keith. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. And you said I would be sharing infinite wisdom. So that's um, setting the bar pretty high. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've I've had the pleasure of... Hmm with you on a couple of occasions now listening to your podcasts and you really do have so much experience from a really wonderful career oh thanks yeah it's been an interesting ride these last 27 years yeah yeah wow well is there anything I missed or anything you'd like to add to your bio or you want people to know about you no I think you hit just about everything so I don't think there's anything more to share at the moment Okay. Well, tell our listeners, how did you get into the work that you're currently doing, career coaching and podcasting? You know, I think so many healthcare providers are kind of in their traditional role of medicine Uh um, as a nurse, as a physician, as you know, uh, and they wonder like, wow, how do you kind of build out from there? Uh Well, (laughs) it all began It all began with my blog, which I launched in 2005, which you mentioned, and is still going after all these years. So that blog's been going for 18 years. And um, that sort of started the journey of being more of a public figure and writing about nursing and healthcare. And that opened my eyes to coaching, which is something I started doing around 2011 or so. And that was around the time I became cognizant of podcasts, which were 
not brand new at the time, but they were just starting to kind of gain steam back around that time. And a couple of colleagues on Twitter and I started chatting and we went offline and hopped on Skype and started talking more. And we launched RNFM Radio, which was that podcast that you mentioned in my bio. And there was only, I believe, one other nursing podcast at the time. So that was kind of groundbreaking because it just wasn't happening for nursing, even though there were medical podcasts back then. Mm -hmm. And that led to my launching my own show several years later. That show's still going over 450 episodes now. So I kind of have this habit or proclivity to kind of fall into things. And I always say it's not because I'm especially prescient or especially intelligent. It's just that I tend to have this habit of being at the right place at the right time, especially doing things that are a little outside the norm or outside the box, like becoming a speaker, becoming a podcaster, becoming a blogger, becoming one of the first board certified nurse career coaches. So I just happen into these things and I just kind of flail around till I figure out what I'm doing. Oh, you know what? I appreciate the honesty, especially about just flailing around until mm-hmm. you figure it out. Um, yeah. You know, just out of curiosity, while you're talking about these different experiences, how has coaching and podcasting and blogging given you balance as a healthcare professional? Well, all of these things started as side hustles when I was working full time or relatively full time. And then over a period of years, as some of those aspects of my career grew, like speaking or writing freelance or coaching, I slowly chipped away at the time I was working as a nurse, you know, like a nursing nurse, and started doing these things that were side hustles that slowly transformed themselves into more main hustles. Mm -hmm. So that has transformed and evolved over the years. And right now I'm starting a very part-time contract position here in Santa Fe, working with the Department of Health, launching a new tuberculosis program. So I'm dipping back into a little bit of clinical and administrative work again. And I think there's just a time for everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of sounds like a biblical proverb, but there is a time for everything. So I really felt the need to step far away from doing any clinical patient facing work for a number of years, which I did. And over the course of the pandemic, I did some patient facing stuff like uh, vaccine clinics and COVID testing, things like that. And I just sort of monitor how I'm doing and where my interest lies. And also, honestly, as a business person, how different aspects of my business are doing. And when things are a little on the slower side, I might pick up a little work. And then when things pick up again, then I might scale back on that kind of nurse type of work again. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing myself the the latitude to decide what my life should look like at any given time. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate what you're saying about kind of listening to yourself, right? And figuring out what you might need at any given time. You mentioned 
you know, the need to step away from nursing, nursing, right? Clinical mm-hmm. nursing for a while. Mm-hmm. Can you can you speak to that a bit? Sure. Well, I'd experienced burnout back in in the first decade of the 21st century when I was living in Massachusetts and doing some very intensive outpatient case management work with very compromised populations. And that led me down the path of figuring out like, hmm, maybe this could look a little differently. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of opened up a door to realizing that I didn't have to do things the way everybody else did or the way other people said I should. Mm-hmm. And that that word should is always very operative in our culture, I think. You should do this. You should do that. You should have a master's degree. You should, you know. And I'm one to kind of do things my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, usually to my advantage, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's always liabilities to any choice that we make in life. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's exercising a sense of personal agency, I guess you would say. And I hope I'm answering the question um, clearly enough, but I I do believe that that we tend to get into these periods of tunnel vision in our lives mm-hmm. and feeling like this is what we're supposed to do or what like I said like we we should do and there's a lot of expectations placed on us from outside forces and then with from within ourselves as well and if we have the wherewithal and the support around us to make different types of choices, then sometimes we can create lives that are a little outside the box, but mm-hmm. equally satisfying. And sometimes a little exciting because we're, we're kind of, you know, going down a road somewhat less traveled. You know, I hope for people that are listening, they're actually hearing what I would say is a little bit of coaching, right? A little bit mm-hmm. of permission to think about things in a different way. And I wonder, Keith, especially for nurses, mm-hmm. if that feeling of, of what I should be doing, um, what I could be doing, um, you know, I think nurses are programmed through the healthcare system to take directive. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, do you think that gets internalized in other sure. parts of their lives? Yeah, I think there, there are aspects of internalized oppression that are active within the nursing culture. Mm-hmm. Um, bullying and incivility are actually f- pretty rampant within nursing, the profession mm-hmm. itself. So I believe a lot of that is born from internalized oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare, kind of like the military in a way is a hierarchical power driven um, milieu in which power differentials play a really large part. And you're right. Nurses were, the profession was born out of a relatively subservient type of position where, well, not relatively, actually very subservient position where nurses were basically the handmaidens to doctors. And I'm talking like, you know, 19th century, 18th Mm -hmm. century. And it's over the course of the last several hundred years that nurses have gained more of a sense of personal agency, something I mentioned earlier, that that sense of agency where one can make one's own choices. And I do think that has been internalized by nurses and this notion of autonomy, like 
nurses becoming business people, you know, there's a lot of feeling like, oh, nurses don't do that, right? And then nurse practitioners have been gaining ground in the course of especially the 21st century. And we now have autonomous independent practice for NPs in about half the states of the country, maybe a little bit more now. So there's this there's this movement towards more sense of agency, but I still think there's this should type of mm -hmm. mentality that keeps nurses in a box. And some of us out there are clamoring for nurses to realize that they can just sort of like open the box and step out. Well, and that's how you and I met, right? Through our Enigade, which mm -hmm. were our mutual friends who are really getting outside the box and doing nursing, you know, continuing ed. Um, I want to go back to what you said a moment ago mm -hmm. um, around bullying and incivility. And then mm -hmm. we can talk about perhaps ways to, to heal from that type of harm. But as you know, on this podcast, we talk about how trauma presents in medicine. And sometimes that's within our own roles. Um, can you talk a little bit more about some of the trauma that nurses experience from their colleagues, from the system and, or from patients, whatever you feel most comfortable? Mm -hmm. Well, I know that I've introduced you to my friend, Dr. Renee Thompson, who's mm -hmm. the CEO and founder of the Healthy Workforce Institute. So right. hopefully you all can have some conversations because she's really a national and or international um, expert on incivility and bullying and healthcare and, you know, the culture of healthcare and the ways in which it's not healthy. So nurses experience trauma in various ways in their work. So you could think about the more direct forms of trauma, which is, you know, a nurse works in a trauma unit and they see patients come in with bullet wounds and stabbings and coming from, you know, multiple vehicle accidents. Or um, I was talking to a nurse recently who she was working in an ER in Connecticut when the Sandy Hook school shooting happened. Wow. And they received two children who were DOA mm -hmm. um, to their hospital. And they didn't receive many patients, but the two children they got were dead when they got there. And so there's that type of trauma. There are nurses who do flight nursing, who, you know, rescue people when they're in, you know, difficult and painful and life-threatening situations. And then there's also the trauma of loving a patient who mm -hmm. dies, you know, mm -hmm. being present at a death or watching a child with um, uh, metastatic cancer suffer. Right. And how do you explain to a four-year-old why they're in so much pain and why they're suffering um, or why they have to go for another surgery? So there's those types of traumas, which are part and parcel of working in medicine. And when we go into nursing or healthcare, we open ourselves up to experience that. And, you know, someone who goes into psychiatry or psychology or counseling or therapy, they're going to be on the receiving end of people's psychic and spiritual and emotional trauma right? And we can experience that in nursing as well, because people trust nurses as evidenced by the Gallup poll every year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they open up to us and tell us their stories. And we often hear very traumatic stories. So that's sort of like the, the work 
related trauma that is just part of being a nurse and a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. But then there's the trauma of, let's say, bullying and incivility and harassment, intimidation, um, discrimination, those sorts of things that happen within the workplace culture where Mm -hmm. we're actually traumatized and injured by those with whom we work, our colleagues and our peers, or maybe people higher up on the power differential, like physicians or surgeons or executives, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there are the other traumas, you know, being abused by patients, being punched, being spat on, Mm -hmm. um, being assaulted, you know, those things happen too. And there's plenty of stories out there. Um, So, you know, when a patient throws feces at you or slaps you or whatever, that's, you know, those are traumatic moments. And then there's also the, let's just say the pandemic, which people are tired of hearing about and talking about, but there's lots of trauma and ethical and moral dilemmas that come up during Um, the course of that. So it's multifaceted and it, it, I mean, there's so many aspects and so many sources of trauma, and we have to shield ourselves as best we can. You know, I know you do a lot of teaching and training and speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that nurses are getting adequate training to understand trauma and, and deal with all of the traumas that they're facing? Well, I'm not privy to the the um, curricula at all the different nursing schools around the country and the world. However, what I do gather is that no, that's not happening enough in nursing school. And schools basically teach to the licensing exam. And, you know, for good reason, they're teaching, you know, how to take care of patients and do all the things that a nurse needs to do. However, there's not a whole lot of conversation about bullying and incivility and moral injury and, Mm -hmm. and all the different traumas that might befall a nurse in the course of their career. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a whole lot going on on the job either. Mm -hmm. I think some employers, I'm sure do much better than others. Some might have very robust programs, but I doubt that many do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think nurses are receiving what they deserve. I don't think any healthcare professionals are just receiving what they deserve. I mean, if we look at just to, to expand the conversation a little bit, you know, we lose on average one physician a day to suicide in the United yeah. States. Mm-hmm. So that's an average. Right. We don't really have data on nurses, though we know that also happens. Mm -hmm. So, right there, if we have a physician shortage in this country, which we do, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to primary care physicians, and we have a nursing shortage. And if the public only understood the level of trauma experienced by healthcare providers, if the public only understood that about 400 American doctors take their own lives every year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what members of the public would actually say in response to that, but I think that could really open their eyes to the fact that, wow, there's really something wrong here. And mm-hmm. it can actually affect my healthcare and the outcomes yeah. of my care. Yeah. And, and not only that, Keith, right, but the systems that are created 
healthcare systems that aren't mm-hmm. responsive to the needs of the healthcare provider to, mm-hmm. to give them agency space and time to process the, the wide continuum of emotions that you could experience on a given day. Um, you know, one of the things that you talk about is um, that personal agency, having mm-hmm. some personal agency and values alignment. Can you talk about how each of those might be a um, an inoculation um, mm-hmm. or ways to mitigate the trauma that nurses experience? Mm-hmm. Well, we already talked about agency a little bit, that mm-hmm. if one can realize that one can make choices based on what you need mm-hmm. and what your family structure calls for and what your lifestyle calls for and what your your health calls for mental spiritual emotional or physical health you know we all live with various conditions and disabilities and what have you and histories and some of us can't really work a regular schedule 40 hours a week. It just does not work for us on various levels. So that's where personal agency comes in just on that level alone. But then on the other hand, there's what you just mentioned, which was this idea of, oh, wait, Amy, I just, um, I just lost my train of thought here for a second. I'm sorry. That's all right. We were talking okay. about in addition to that values alignment. Oh, values alignment. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to our values, our our values inform the choices we make. Mm-hmm. They are often the some of the prime motivators of what we do in life and also the choices we make and how we live our lives, whether it's at work or at home or out in the community. And if we're working in a workplace where let's say aberrant behavior is tolerated Mm -hmm. and bullying and incivility are the norm Mm -hmm. and power differentials are mm, maybe exacerbated by the quote unquote, the powers that be right. The, the executives and administrators don't really do much in terms of creating an organization that's not top down and hierarchical Mm -hmm. where, where internalized oppression is sort of the, the name of the game, yeah. Um, right? So if we're working for an organization where our values of, let's say, compassion or love or treating others with respect or um, doing our very best when we're at work, if if that's not aligned with, with, if, with what we believe and our workplace runs counter to the prime motivators of why we are who we are and why we do what we do, that compromise is can be devastating yeah. because that's where burnout happens. That's where compassion fatigue, that's where depersonalization begins to take place. Mm-hmm. That's where we begin to not treat our patients the way we would normally treat them perhaps, mm-hmm. um, or treat ourselves and our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And there are ethical dilemmas and moral injury that happen. Let's let's take the pandemic, for instance. You have a, a nurse who works in a COVID ICU. And this let's say this is um October of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. 
patients are dying, mm-hmm. family aren't allowed to visit, and lo and behold, the nurse has to hold up an iPad to the patient so that the families can say goodbye. And the nurse has to be the surrogate for the family holding the hand of the patient and showing mm-hmm. that family that, yes, I'm holding your dad's hand as he dies, right? So much so, so much trauma. So that nurse is experiencing a moral injury because mm-hmm. they know the best thing for a dying person is to be surrounded by their loved ones and to hear their loved ones' voices and be touched by their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And if that nurse is holding up an iPad, for that dying person to be witnessed by their family, that moral injury could haunt that nurse forever, forever and ever. And if that happens over and over again, just think of what that does to that nurse's sense of alignment of their values with what's happening in their workplace. Now, of course, this was a global emergency and things happened the way they did. However, still, we can't make excuses or or um, diminish the impact of those experiences on our providers. Mm-hmm. And there were I remember a story in the in the New York Times about a very well-known doctor in New York City. She could not take it. She couldn't take the pressure of the pandemic, and she went home to see her family and took her own life. So, you know, that's illustrative of that type of dynamic that Mm -hmm. that's what we're, that's what's happening out there. And it's, it's can be, it can be at best tragic, right? You and I both know Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I want nurses or healthcare professionals who are listening to this saying, oh my gosh, yes, that was me in the pan, like I was holding up the iPad. I was the surrogate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some institutions that were like, move along, business as usual, next patient. Mm-hmm. And then I know there were also institutions that took a moment mm-hmm. to honor the death that was there, to honor the, the healthcare providers that were in the room. Did you hear about stories of hope or in organizations that were doing it well and healthily? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. I talked to a lot of people <laughs> on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. yes, I heard good stories. I heard stories of amazing camaraderie. Mm-hmm. I heard stories of people going above and beyond for for others, whether it's for colleagues, for patients, for families, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, we had we had citizens, you know, banging pots and pans outside of hospitals, a change of shift. We had people raising money. We had them making food and delivering it to healthcare facilities, whether those facilities could safely accept the food or not was beyond, beyond the, you know, that doesn't really matter really in the scheme of things, but no, there, I think there was great, um, um, altruism and beauty happening and, um, sacrifice and incredible empathy that was born from people slogging it out together. So I think there were some amazing things happening and I think some good has come of it. However, in terms of nurses, you know, like I said, I mentioned the Gallup poll. So we're voted 
we've been voted the most trustworthy, honest professionals in the country. I think it's 20 or 21 years in a row now. Amazing. Yeah. More than me, Keith? More than the psychologists in the room? Psychologists are very high up there. I'm not sure what number. Doctors are up there too and pharmacists. Um, but nurses have been number one for a really Absolutely. long time. Yeah. Absolutely. Not to cast aspersions on psychology. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Yeah. But the, the public trusts us, right? And however- Here's here's where things get a little sticky that throughout the pandemic, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, but I'll mention it here too, that you, we would see all these banners like heroes work here, right? Or welcome to work heroes or whatever. And this word hero kept getting bandied about more and more and more. And I kept getting more and more uncomfortable with the word with each day passing. And I kept saying, let's call them warriors, not heroes, right? Because hero is a lot like angel and saint, where mm-hmm. it's dehumanizing, where, okay, if if nurses are heroes wearing capes and masks, I mean, like, you know, um, superhero masks, mm-hmm. um, and if they're angels in scrubs, and if they are saints in scrubs, then they're not necessarily really human. So maybe they don't actually have like feelings like you and I do. So they're superhuman. And I think that is in a sense, a harmful dynamic. Um, And I know it's all well-meaning. I just, I look at these things in different cultural and societal context, because I just want to pick them apart and kind of see what's happening, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I feel like all of that goodwill, especially from like executives and administrators and facilities and employers, a lot of it's been squandered because we're kind of back to business as usual with nurses going on strike because they feel like they have to take care of too many patients and they're not being paid well and they're not being cared for by the employers. I feel like that opportunity for massive cultural transformation within healthcare has mostly been squandered Mm -hmm. from the pandemic. And, but the, the hope remains that we can still pick up the threads of that gain and um, apply it in a way that benefits everyone. Yeah. I love, I wrote down moving from superhero to superhumans. Yeah. Just being human and being warriors, right. That are fighting and battling, but they're in the trenches. They are, Mm -hmm. they are getting dirty and they are getting hurt and harmed at the same time. I I really appreciate the analogy. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that those of you that are listening, it keeps giving you a little bit of homework, right? Like here's an inventory you could take around personal agency, kind of asking you like, what does your body need? What does your spiritual self need? What does your health self need? And really tuning into that because I, I think we're trained as healthcare providers to tune out of that, right? To just take care of other versus self. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then this, this personal agency, um, plus values alignment, um, is that's kind of where you can do some coaching and career work, right? Can you talk to people about that, that part of, of yourself? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk out there and everyone seems to be tiring of it, of like self-care. Mm-hmm. And when I speak at conferences, I don't talk about self-care anymore. I always say, find what wellness means for you. Right. <laughs> uh, because, you know, how many times can we tell people to take more bubble baths and, you know, like candles? However, when, when we're looking at values alignment and we're looking at, you know, what do I truly need? And I'm not saying you know, that I don't necessarily need a nice bubble bath or go out to dinner or, you know, whatever, go on vacation. But, you know, if we, we have to peel the onion, we have to go deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, what do I really need? Like, is this work that I do, is it still serving me? Is the patient population I'm caring for serving me? And people might balk at that and be like, no, 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 no. I'm a nurse. I serve others. It doesn't serve me. And, and I, and I have to say, wait a second, you know, your work has to serve a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if it's putting food on the table and putting your kids through college or whatever, but it's destroying you or, or damaging you or causing you to have, you know, ongoing trauma that you're going to be unspooling for the next 30 years, if you even choose to do that unspooling, then maybe something needs to change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nurses tend to really focus on caring for others. And, you know, I always say like, we don't go into nursing for the awesome pay usually, or the great outfits or the awesome shoes and accessories, <laughs> right? Shoes. Um, I knew it was the shoes. It's the shoes, those awesome, beautiful, like white sneakers. Everybody wants them. No, we don't go into it for all those things, right? We go into it for different reasons. So we need to be able to look at ourselves and say, you know what, this choice I made isn't working for me anymore. And even though there might be some noise and static from other people, if I make this other choice, um, you know what, doesn't really matter in the end. You Mm -hmm. know, like when I graduated from nursing school the first time with my associates in 96, you know, I announced um, in my own way, that I wasn't going to get a job in a hospital and I was going to go directly into community health work. And everyone was like, Oh my gosh, you know, they were like gnashing their teeth and tearing their hair out that this was career suicide and um, that I would never have a viable career. And, you know, I, I, you know, there were all these prognostications of like terrible things that were going to happen to me because I didn't get this one year of medical surgical nursing. And I was like, yeah, no, thank you. You know, so 27 years later, I've never been unemployed except when I've chosen to be different uh-huh. periods of my life. And the point being though, that, that I, I made a choice. I was like, mm, hospitals don't really work for me. Sorry. You know, and um, I'm not going to work in a hospital probably ever my whole life. And everyone was completely aghast. And that's the choice I made. Right. And there's price, there's, there's a price I've paid for not having certain types of skills, but I don't really care in the end. And so it's, it's that sort of example. I'm just trying to show that, that, that ability to just say, you know, this is what I need. This is the kind of life I'm trying to create for myself and my family. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm not going to work in trauma anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a school nurse, you know? 
It's actually so reassuring. Um, and I hope for the listeners too, to hear you say in 27 years, I've never been unemployed unless I've chosen to take mm-hmm. a break from my work mm-hmm. because I think fear drives a lot of positions and careers, uh, for folks. So mm-hmm. that's, that's probably a really good, um, catalyst into some of our rapid fire questions. Are you okay. ready? Yes. Uh, Always ready. Uh, okay. Perfect. Um, if you could go back and talk to young Keith mm-hmm. in 1996, mm-hmm. right? We're just finishing your associates. What would you tell him? Well, I would encourage him to still make the choices he was making because he was making them based on his needs mm-hmm. and what he felt was right for him at the time. I would also tell him to keep his eyes open for unusual opportunities and to continue to to realize that his path might diverge from what the norm is and not to lose any sleep over that particular realm of of choice making that it would be okay to make those choices ah lovely lovely um I think often in healthcare, we can get intimidated by professionals, Um, maybe not so much nurses, like you said, they're the relational people that are in the room. But um, I do think that sometimes we don't always share parts of ourselves that are just human. Uh Um, Would you share with our listeners one thing that makes you a messy human or perfectly imperfect, as I say? A messy human. Gosh, there's so many things. well, I'm currently at the time of this this recording struggling to put together everything I need to put together for my taxes. Oh my god. <laughs> Realizing that, you know, every year I say, you know what, I'm going to really stay on top of things every month and kind of keep everything together and so that when like January and February come, you know, it'll just take me like half an hour and you know, but it's never like that. <laughs> um, you know, I recently over the last couple of years, um, divorced um, after 30 years of marriage. And even though my ex-wife and I are still great friends and see each other regularly, and I'm very close with her and her new partner, you know, that's a messy thing to end a relationship. And now I'm in a new relationship and getting married again, probably in 2024. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't, none of us are, are immune from, from, death, divorce, taxes, you know, whatever whatever it happens to be, none of us are immune from it. And that's, those are some of the things that make, make me a messy, imperfect, perfect, imperfect human. And, you know, when it comes to death and taxes, they say, you know, those are the very, some two of the constants in the universe. And Woody (laughs) Allen once said, "Um, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. So um, Um, thank you for sharing too, by the way. Sure. Um, so uh, it's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. Mm-hmm. What do you reach for? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Hmm. Well, um, if there's any peanut butter in the house, that's often a go-to, though I try not to keep any in the house on a regular basis. <laughs> that makes me a messy human. Is that... Um, <laughs> that um, peanut butter affinity. Um, 
I often will have, this might sound so like overly healthy to certain people, but I'll go for like um, cashew yogurt and fruit, you know, or um, something like that in the evening. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, so far I'm realizing Keith, that you and I are aligned on tax avoidant uh, tasks and peanut butter. All right. (laughs) They go well Um, together. Yeah, seriously. Um, Last question. Okay. We're going to link up in the show notes to all the ways that people can be in touch with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Your your blog and your podcast, which are beautiful, um, the coaching that you offer. Um, But if someone's listening right now and they're Mm -hmm. thinking, maybe I need some coaching, Mm -hmm. would you just leave us with a parting note of like maybe three things or three um, symptoms or signs that someone might really benefit from some coaching. Okay. I'll think of like classic clients who come to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. One might be a, a client who's a nurse who has been working for about somewhere between five and 10 years and they've kind of hit a wall and they're like, mm it's just not working for me anymore. Like I need something. I just can't put my finger on it. That's a really good reason to come for coaching because you know, there's a little bit of discomfort. You're not super unhappy or burned out, but you're like, I know there's something more. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Two might be, oh my gosh, I, on the level of stress and burnout, I'm like a nine out of 10. And I need to do something really fast or I am going to really tear my hair out or I'm just, I'm not going to be able to go on. So that's a obviously a really good reason. And another reason might be, I want to do something different, maybe launch a podcast, maybe write, maybe um, take a coaching course. I just want to have a little side hustle. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually cool with my job. I don't think I need to quit my job, but I'd like to do something. I just want to do a little something different on the side. And I need a little inspiration for what are some of the things nurses do on the side that might be fun. Mm-hmm. And I just want to have some fun and maybe eventually earn an extra thousand dollars a month. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 So if you've kind of hit a wall, but you're not really sure why you could reach out for help and coaching. Um, if you definitely know you're stressed or burned out, um, or if you're just itching to do something kind of different, um, those are all really good reasons. I read something Keith that very few healthcare providers want to reach out to a therapist or psychologist, but many will reach out to help from a coach. So, um, I'm glad people like you are in this world that have had the experience of being in a profession clinically, but also doing all of these other facets that can really help someone um, have a little bit more values alignment, have Mm -hmm. feel like they're doing things that their body and spirit needs. So thank you for being here with us today and um, for all the lives that you touch. And, um, uh, you know, on behalf of myself, thanks to all the nurses who are doing the warrior work that needs to Mm. be done. So I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Amy. And thanks for this really awesome show. I'm so glad we're on the health podcast network together. And, and it was an honor to have you on my podcast and um, you're an amazing person doing great work in the world too. So back at you. Thank you. Thank you. Good people. No good people. Mm. All right. 
Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing your own, because your humanity will heal others. We'll talk soon.